Articles by Desiring God When Sharp Disagreements Separate Lessons for Churches in Conflict Written and read by John Bloom Luke describes the rift that opened between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark in his typical, understated way. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Acts 15.39 No elaboration, no circling back later in Acts to tell us how this story ended. We just watched Barnabas sail off to Cyprus with John Mark while Paul and Silas head to Syria and Cilicia. Really? Paul and Barnabas? Friends whose names go together like David and Jonathan or Peter and John? These brothers who had spent a year together teaching the new Gentile converts in Antioch and then risked life and limb together for the gospel on that first missionary journey? These colleagues who became the first missionary team at the special direction of the Holy Spirit himself? And they couldn't reconcile a disagreement over John Mark? We can be left wondering, if Paul and Barnabas couldn't stay together, what hope do we have? when difficult and painful disagreements arise in our churches and between leaders that we love and trust. These are times that try Christians' souls. What are we left to think? In a careful look at the story, we can see that the God of hope wants to fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope, even when sharp disagreements separate godly people. Who was right? Here we have two of the most trusted apostolic leaders in the early church at an impasse over whether John Mark should join them on their second missionary tour, considering how he had left them during their first. Now, we're not told why Mark left on that first journey, only that Paul was convinced Mark wasn't ready to give it another go, and that Barnabas was equally convinced that he was. So, which apostle was right? Based on Luke's sparse description, we aren't sure. But since Scripture gives us a good sense for the quality of men that Barnabas and Paul were, we can consider how each man might have viewed the disagreement. Barnabas, Gracious, Discerning Mentor Barnabas' name speaks volumes about him. His actual name was Joseph, but the apostles had dubbed him Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement because he was so gracious and encouraging. He seems to have had the extraordinary ability to discern the true spiritual quality in a person that others might not perceive. And arguably, the best example of this manifested in his discernment of Paul's true spiritual quality. Soon after Paul's conversion, when most Christians were still terrified of him, who was willing to take the risk and advocate for Paul with the apostles? Barnabas. And when Gentiles started coming to Christ in Antioch, who did the apostles trust enough to go and assess the genuineness of their conversions? Barnabas. And when Barnabas discerned the Antioch revival was the Holy Spirit's doing, who did he discern would be best at helping these new Gentile Christians understand the gospel? Paul, the former zealous, gospel-hating Pharisee. Given his track record, One would think Barnabas had earned the right to be trusted regarding his assessment of John Mark. Paul, experienced, discerning frontier missionary. We all know Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, 
became the most trusted theologian, ecclesiologist, and missiologist in the early church. The Holy Spirit chose to preserve more of his epistles regarding those fields than any other single writers in the New Testament. That's some serious credibility capital. And the content of his instruction and counsel wasn't the result of quiet academic research and reflection, but of incredibly rigorous first-hand experiences of doing frontier evangelism and church planting in violently hostile environments. According to Luke's account, John Mark had left the first missionary team before things really heated up in Pisidia, Iconium, and Lystra, where Paul seems to have suffered the most violent persecution of the team. So in assembling a team for a second tour, knowing from experience the kinds of adversity and danger they were likely to face, Paul's refusal to further jeopardize the team's effectiveness, safety, and morale by including a member who'd already shown himself unreliable seems eminently wise. Given his track record, one would think Paul had earned the right to be trusted regarding his assessment of John Mark. What are we supposed to learn? To me, both these men deserve the benefit of the doubt. It's easy to simply assume Paul, not Barnabas, must have been right, since the historical narrative of Acts follows Paul and not Barnabas. But that's an assumption from silence. It does appear that Silas was a very good choice for Paul. But later in Paul's life, we hear him describe Mark as a very useful ministry colleague. See 2 Timothy 4, verse 11 which tells us something happened to change Paul's assessment of him. From what we know about Barnabas, it's altogether possible that Mark's regaining of Paul's confidence was, at least in part, the result of the time that he spent under Barnabas' influence. So, what are we supposed to learn from this sharp disagreement if Scripture is silent on whether one or both were at fault or whether they ever reconciled? Did Paul and Barnabas sinfully fail to bear with one another in love and eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Or did they reach the righteous, God-glorifying conclusion that, given their situation, the wisest, most loving, unifying option for them was, paradoxically, to separate? There is no definitive answer to these questions. In each case, we'd have to say, it depends. But this account of the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that resulted in their separating will yield gold to those willing to dig for it. Here are five nuggets that I've found. Number one, when God seems silent, listen up. The fact that God does not reveal to us if either or both apostles were right or wrong is one of the many biblical examples of God manifesting his wisdom through silence. I like to call God's silence the dark matter of divine revelation, because it's never vacuous, but it's substantial. When God withholds details from us, he's usually communicating something else. You can think of the next four nuggets as examples of this. Number two, the godliest of people can fail. If this sharp disagreement involves some personal or leadership failure on the part of one or both of these men, which is possible, we shouldn't be shocked. Neither man was infallible, and like the rest of us, they stumbled in many ways. Just that possibility reminds us that the Bible doesn't hide the weakness and failures of its godliest saints, and that we and our leaders are weak and fail too. Number three, 
not all apparent failures are actual failures. We need to have a category in our minds that it's possible that neither man was wrong. Perhaps Paul rightly discerned that John Mark wasn't yet ready to participate in the trip Paul was about to take, and Barnabas rightly discerned that God wanted Mark to accompany him. Perhaps Silas was ready to endure the dangers and rigors of Pauline ministry, while Mark was ready to train under Barnabas's patient, encouraging leadership, contributing to his becoming very useful in Paul's later ministry. That possibility can help guard us from jumping to conclusions when decisions look like failures to us. It may not be the case, which is why Paul admonished Christians in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 to, quote, not pronounce judgment before the time, end of quote. Number four, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Now, if the point I just made was the case with Paul and Barnabas, well, couldn't the Holy Spirit simply have made the truth clear to them in a way that prevented their sharp disagreement? The answer to that is yes. But how do we know that it would have yielded the most God-glorifying outcome? Isn't it possible that God had 10,000 gospel-spreading, saint-sanctifying purposes in the event? We're not privy to the millions of present and future, visible and invisible factors that go into God's providential orchestrations of such things. Which is why Paul also admonished Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, that, quote, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. End of quote. Number five, get used to unsearchable and inscrutable. It's good for us to remember that we're in our fallen conditions because of the tragic belief that we could, like God, manage the knowledge of good and evil ourselves. Therefore, when we encounter a providence that causes us pain or grief for reasons we don't understand, we can, without sin, cry, Why, O Lord? But it is a sin to assume in our grief that the judge of all the earth failed to do right just because his unfathomable knowledge and wisdom led him to make judgments that we find unsearchable. Pursue faithful disagreement. As a principle, the more distant we are from other Christians' sharp disagreements, the less we know of the circumstances or details, the wiser we are to refrain from passing judgment on them. But when it comes to sharp disagreements between Christian friends we know, or within our own churches, let us take very seriously the counsel given us from one of the parties involved in the dispute over John Mark. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 12, verse 18. No doubt this counsel came from much hard-won experience. Now note the words, if possible. These words carry the implication that for all sorts of reasons, it's not always possible for brothers and sisters to remain yoked together in ministry. But it is always possible to trust God's sometimes mysterious, inscrutable purposes and not to pass judgment prematurely and to be quick to forgive others as God and Christ forgave us and to let love cover a multitude of sins. For love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Ministry partnerships sometimes must end, but love never ends. It's inevitable that disagreements will arise between Christians, 
Our call is to pursue faithfulness in disagreement, with love always being our aim. Given that the separation between Paul and Barnabas is an anomaly in what the Holy Spirit preserved in Scripture for our instruction, I think it's safe to assume that most disagreements ought to be reconciled without separation. But when separation occurs, we can glean a lot from the little we know of Paul and Barnabas's parting. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.